So you see that fixer-upper show? Raise your hand. See the fixer-upper show? Anybody? Really? You have seen the fixer-upper show? Two of you. You guys need to get out more. Seriously. So there's a show on TV that none of you have seen with Chip and Joanna Gaines, and they have unlimited money and workers to take an old house and completely fix it up. Okay, this is a great show. So, the, and they, they're believers, they, they're solid. And what's fun, I think, is to, is to see, they'll say, you know, you bought the house for $150,000 and you have 100000 to put in it. I mean, who has that kind of money anyway? Have 100000 to put in it and then it's just a wreck of a house and then they do their magic and then they have, they always have, uh, uh, the, the, on wheels, they have like a cardboard picture of the old house at the end, and then they pull it out, and then people get to see the new house. It would have helped if you had watched this program, and I would have to describe the entire thing <laughs> to you. And they pull it out, and the people are like, oh, my words are so beautiful. The new house is so beautiful. Okay, so imagine how cool it would be if you had somebody come along and go, we're going to use your house for fixer-upper, because, I mean, after all, that linoleum has got to go. It's a wreck. And your kitchen is a kitchen. It's not a big space, you know, with a kitchen and a living room like all the cool people do now. It's like a kitchen, like old style. And we've got to knock out that wall because they're always going to knock out a wall, right? Got to knock out all the walls. And then, well, imagine that it was like you could do that. You're, some of you, I've been in your homes and you have done that. And it's beautiful. I won't name names like Havistos and Vites and people like that. I won't name names. It'd be rude, you know that done this kind of thing and their house looks all flipped already but anyway what i'm saying is wouldn't it be cool if somebody came to your house and said we're going to fit the bill we're going to flip this thing we're going to fix this up this is going to be amazing you would say okay and they would say oh we're going to pay you know for you to stay in traverse city and we're going to pay you for your work while you're gone and you know that kind of thing i mean if we're making up a story we might as well do a good job right just completely make up a story that'd be great Here's what I've been thinking, though. Wouldn't it be cool if we could do that to our relationships? You know, like our marriages and our relationships with our kids and with our brothers and sisters, the people that we work with. In particular, maybe our relationships at home. This is what I had in mind. In the month of June, we're having this, the rest of the month of June, this series of messages, four messages all together on four very powerful things that you can do to really kind of renovate your relationships, to really strengthen and build better relationships. And that's what we're going to be talking about in the month of June. This has really been on my heart, to help me, to help you build stronger marriages, stronger family relationships. You know when we release the children, you realize about 40 kids leave and go downstairs? There's, a lot. there's, a, there's, there's some precious people there, and those little kids ought to live in healthy emotionally well-adjusted, spiritually healthy homes. Wouldn't you agree that it would be a great idea for us to work on that so those little children would be able to look and say, you know what, I, I want to be like that when I grow up, not like I don't want to be like that when I grow up. So it's worthwhile for us to work on this. So I'm going to be sharing these four different scriptural, powerful scriptural qualities. And the idea would be like this. I want you to imagine, like maybe Lois and I, we, we, we have... We don't have an empty nest, but we do have three adults living in our house. So Hopi is still at home, and she's just like a, she's an adult, obviously. She's not a little child. We're trying to build something beautiful together 
out on what we call Bittersweet Farm, which isn't really a farm, it's two acres, and we don't really grow anything but grass and flowers and stuff like that. But we're trying to build something beautiful together out on what we call Bittersweet Farm. We're trying to build a place where people come, you know, home and where they remember what they were taught, and it's a happy place. Lois pulls weeds. She's pulling weeds the other day, big, huge gobs of weeds, weeds, and she said something to me. She said, I think if I pull them, you should at least throw them away. You know, I'm like, <laughs> so I'm going to do that. Um, we're working together, you see. Yesterday I got home from a meeting and she was washing every window in the house. I helped on two of them, so we washed the windows together. You see what I'm saying? <laughs> we're working together to build something beautiful. I get on the tractor and ride around. It's not easy, people. Exposing yourself to sunlight like that, ultraviolet rays. She's over there pulling weeds and planting flowers. I'm riding around mowing. I exhaust myself this way. Then I sit on the porch and I holler instructions. You missed a weed. Over to the right, that's the one. We're building something beautiful together. I'm being silly, right? But together, wouldn't it be powerful if like Lois and Hope and I, I imagine we sat around the table one night and we said, you know what? Sometimes we're not as much like Jesus as we ought to be. So let's go back to four main Jesus things and let's commit to these again. You know, they are these four things. Uh, love and honor and seeking forgiveness when you're wrong and showing mercy to people. Today we're going to talk about love in, in relationships, the power of love to build relationships. But like, what I'm saying is, what if we built together I mean, ideally, what if Lois and Hope and I in our home said, you know what, we're all Jesus followers and we promise to love. We're all Jesus followers and this is something that we're devoted to, we promise to love. Now, isn't it always going to be that way? You know, it might be like somebody's pulling all the weeds and somebody else is sipping lemonade on the porch here, you know, can we get some help? You know, it might be in your home that you're the only one that's really going to work on that and I want to encourage you we'll talk about that a little bit but here's the thing ideally these are four very powerful things I'll show you them in the scriptures that as we commit to them they will help us build better relationships I want to give you an example here uh, just about love from the scriptures and just a quick little Bible survey love is the fulfillment of all that God requires this is the way the, the Bible puts it like in the greatest commandment of all, right? Love God with all your heart. And it's almost like God is saying, if you really want to show you love me, what? You love your neighbor as yourself. That's really the two tables of the Ten Commandments, isn't it? Now, the first half of the Ten Commandments, roughly half, the first of the commandments, maybe the first four of the commandments are, are more Godward, and the last six are more manward, more relational, aren't they? about lying and stealing and coveting and the kinds of things and murder, that kind of thing. They, they have to do with man. God says, love me and show you love me by loving others. And this is what Jesus said in Mark chapter 12. It's recorded in Mark 12, of course, other places. Often love and the, and the commandments are, are connected. Get this, Romans 13, 8. Oh, no one anything except to love each other for one. The one who loves has fulfilled the law. If you want to fulfill what God requires, you love, love is the fulfillment of all that God requires. Listen to Matthew 22, 39 through 40. This, the, the commandment, the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
On these two commandments, Jesus says, depend the law and the prophets. If you want to summarize the entire Old Testament, you can summarize it in one little four-letter word, love. In case you wonder how to fulfill what was required in the Old Testament, it is this. That's what Jesus said, love God and others. And then it's in James 2 and verse 8. If you really want to fulfill the royal law according to the Scripture, you love your neighbor as yourself. So love is the fulfillment of all that God requires. The second thing, love is more powerful even than spiritual gifts. Imagine you, if you're a believer, have the Holy Spirit living in you, so you're like supercharged with a spiritual gift or spiritual gifts. You can do, God says believers can have supernatural ability to obey God. But in 1 Corinthians 12 and 13 and 14, you have that section about spiritual gifts, and then thir- like at tw- get to the end of, of 12, he says, let me show you a better way than spiritual gifts. The end of 12, the last verse, but I will show you a better way, a more excellent way. And then you have that beautiful, lyrical, poetic, gorgeous passage about love in 1 Corinthians 13. And then it says, and let love be the main thing you do, 14.1. In other words, love is actually maybe a way of expressing how you use your spiritual gift or more important than supernatural gifting. It's like just for shorthand, love people. It's a big deal, okay? So we're going to talk about love as a power tool in building strong relationships. And love is the greatest evidence that God is at work in a person because when some people says, some people in Galatians 5 the, the passage, the beautiful passage there about the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. Some people say the fruit of the Spirit is love and the other things branch right from there. But, but it's listed, you know, love and joy and peace and so forth. So the fruit or the evidence that God is at work in a person is what? You guys are doing well. You might get out earlier. You might get out at 11.59 today. <laughs> keep, keep it up. You're doing well. Except that last, that first little bit about not watching the right TV programs. And love is the apex of Christian virtues. It's like, you know, in 1 Peter. And by the way, this is making its way through Jesus and all the apostles. They all said the same thing in a different way. Get your Bible out and read it. Jesus prioritized love. Paul prioritized love. John, my goodness. When he was an old man, they'd carry him to the church. They'd say, say, just little children, love God, love each other. That's it interesting. Peter wrote about love. Love one another fervently with a pure heart. Sincere love for one another. And in 1 Peter, when he's giving this list of virtues that all of us would love to characterize our life, it ends with love. Listen how this goes. This is 2 Peter 1, 5-7. For this very reason, Peter says, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with what? With love. The apex of the Christian virtues is love. So Christians should obviously be constantly asking themselves, is God is love, and is the love of God dwelling in me, and am I characterized by love? Are you under conviction yet? Because you're going to be before we're done. I figure if I have to suffer all week, you should suffer for a few minutes too, right? Love is the apex. It'd be good. It's a good kind of thing. And this into Colossians. This is what Paul's writing in Colossians about, you know, love being the apex above everything else. He says, put on God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, 
compassionate hearts and kindness and humility and meekness and patience and bear with one another. And if you have a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, you must forgive. And above all of these other good things, he says what? Guess what? Put on love. If you want the shorthand for the Christian life, it's just love. Do you love God? Do you love, was that loving what you just said? Was that loving what you just thought? Is this really a loving thing that you're thinking about doing? Is love can, if, if we could get a handle on love, it would just govern all of our lives. It's very powerful. But here, here's what I want to do today. I would like to teach you something that is so precious to me. I've referred to it before. I want to go deeper. Remember the, remember the flyover of the orchard and then going down and you pick the orange and you, you peel the orange and you eat every, we want to, we want to take this little orange apart and we want to see every little section today of a passage that the Lord brought to my heart from this little New Testament that I am carrying with me. Back before we had these wonderful electronic devices that have the world in them, my dad taught me, Kenny, you should have a copy of God's Word with you every day. He taught me as a little boy to buy a New Testament. This is just what he taught me to do, to mark it up so I could lead people to the Lord. And I was eight years old when he taught me how to go to tell my little friends about the Lord and use what he called a map in the Bible. And some of you have been taught this. It's a good thing. And I had this little New Testament in my pocket a number of years ago on an evening, and I was alone at home, and I had hurt a family. I had kind of offended a family in the church many years ago, many, many years ago, 20 years ago. I had offended a family, and as a result, there was just some, there were good people who loved the Lord, but there was just this little hurt that was there. And as a result of that, one of the men was a guy that I tried to befriend, and I realized that we were kind of had this thing between us. So I, I remember taking him out for breakfast and more or less talking to him and saying, you know, if you and I get along and love each other, everybody's going to be blessed. But I, but I didn't feel like I won that guy. And since then, we have had, uh, we've had a beautiful reconciliation, he and I. But but at the time, my heart was so burdened, and it was kind of, here's how it kind of went in my heart. I w- went home, and I sat on the hearth, and I started a fire, and I thought, why doesn't this guy's name, let's say, say it was John, and this was what was going on in my heart. You can judge me if you want to. Why doesn't John love me? Why doesn't John love me? I'm such a love. How could he not love me, you know? And I tried so hard. And I thought about the Apostle Paul, and I thought about he had people that were kind of against him, and so I decided, well, maybe I'll take out my New Testament, and I'll just start reading maybe in the epistles of Paul. And so as I'm reading down this little page right here, I came over to 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 15, and it changed my life that night. And I just pray that when I tell you this, it will change your life today. Because when the truth of this leaped into my heart, it changed my life. This is the New King James Version I happen to be reading. It only reads uniquely like this. It certainly means similar things in the different variations of translation. You can study that out. But here's what Paul was talking here. He was writing to the Corinthian church, and he was saying, I'm your spiritual father. And spiritual fathers, fathers don't expect their kids to provide for them Fathers expect to provide for their kids. Dads know that part of being dad is you try to help provide. And you thank God you have a lot of help from your wife, but you try to provide for those kids 
and you try to take care of them. Paul's saying, you're my spiritual children, so I'm not looking for you to provide for me. I'm looking to provide for you. And then he said this, and therefore, he said, I will very gladly rather spend and be spent for your souls, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I am loved. Did you catch that? He said, I will very gladly rather spend and be spent for your souls, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I'm loved. I want to show you five things from this passage as we just take the orange apart. <coughs> I want to show you five things from this passage that they'll help you apply this, the power tool of love to build in relationships. Let me show you the first one here. Notice what he says. He says, very gladly. He says, I will very gladly spend and be spent for your souls. What kind of love do we commit ourselves to in order to build better families? What kind of love do we commit ourselves to in order to build better relationships? We commit ourselves to loving with joyful willingness. Now, is this easy for you? It's not easy for me. Lois uh, has a hobby that involves moving old things around a lot. I, I think that's a neat hobby. Um, <laughs> lots of old things get moved about here and there. And she says, no problem, you know, I can handle this. And then she's over there struggling and grunting and stuff. It's kind of like, are you going to sit there or are you going to be a man? You know, that kind of a thing. One day she said, I got a few things to move. I'm like, it's my day off, and I was not thinking about moving a few things. You know, it's like, I got a few things to move. If you could just maybe get a truck. Um, I'm like, get a truck for a few things, you know. And so if you could get a truck, and then maybe just like, we're going down, meet my sister on the state line. And I'm like, okay. I, mean, I probably wasn't that nice about it, right? That's sort of crappy about it. It's true, true. She's here, so it's hard to, you know, you, you got that, you know. And I'm like, oh, it's my day. Okay, 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 I'll do that. And, and then I knew what was going to happen. It's like the plans changed, and they added like two hours on the trip. And then, oh, now it's St. Joe. So it's like the state line, and now St. Joe. It was like, I'm going to be tied up all morning. I'm going to be tied up until the Great Tribulation, you know, moving furniture. But I'm perfectly happy to do it because I'm a great guy and I preach about love all the time. So I was sort of crabby about it, to be honest with you. And, and I, I got the truck and got the stuff and we drove over there and it was quite a, quite a drive, took forever. And then when we got over there, we were, we were uh, taking the, all the stuff and putting it over in her sister's trailer. Um, and then, and, and Hope noticed um, that I was probably not being all that cheerful. At which point she said something that was a lot like this or maybe even a direct quote. Hey, Dad, remember what you always say, though? If you're going to do something, you might as well have a good attitude about it. <laughs> and then I had this, like, crushing conviction, and I looked at Lois over there, and I thought, she's always hustling to make some money or do something, and I should be nicer to her. Now she's going to go away for the weekend. I wasn't going to see her. I kind of muttered a lame apology. This isn't easy stuff because we're selfish people. And if we're going to love, he's saying, I will very gladly spend and be spent for your souls. So the more abundantly I love you, the less I'm loved. Ask yourself the question, do you love the people that you're building relationships? Do you do it like with joyful willingness? Or do you like, I'm doing it, but I'm going to be, but I reserve the right to be crabby while I do it. Let's just, this is convicting, right? Let's just not stay here. Let's move to the next one. Second, I love with a selfless, <laughs> it gets worse. I love selfless sacrifice. He's saying, I will spend. Spend means you 
had something you could have bought a new gun with and you gave it to something else. Or, you know, you know, right? You spend, it's like invest, you, you spend, you actually, you actually sacrifice something. You, you, you actually have to think, something I was going to use for me, I'm going to use for you. Time I was going to use for me, I'm going to use for you. Money I was going to use for me, I'm going to give it to you. Paul said, he literally exposing himself to danger and stuff like that. My, my dad, uh, great example of this, but he's frugal, man, very careful with money. He hasn't ever had much, but he's just done really well. Always, always plenty of food at home. Always the bills are going to have, but, but very little to work with. So he doesn't waste steps. He doesn't waste money. He slices the cheese thin. He puts water in the orange juice. He's really good at that. He's really, really good at that. When I was a kid, I was about 14 or 15 years old, the church had an event. A local church had an event that I wanted to go to. They were going to get on a bus and they were going to go down to a place in Ohio called Old Man's Cave. We lived in central Ohio. This was quite a drive. Hour and a half, hour and 45 minutes down to Old Man, Man's Cave. And my dad says, well, where, does, where are they going to meet? You know, I go, well, first church, we go to first church, catch the bus. So my dad says, no problem, I'll drive you in. So he gets in his economical little VW that doesn't use much gas. Did I mention he was frugal? Yeah. And he takes me to the church and I miss the bus. And he could see that I was disappointed. And so he says, well, maybe they went over to uh, Pine Street. Let's go over there and see if we can catch the bus over there. And so he drives me over across town and they said, it just left. You know what my dad did that day? My dad drove me all the way to Old Man's Cave. And he kept saying, he didn't want me to be sad or disappointed. He took his day, and he drove me all the way down there to Southern Ohio until we finally found that crazy church bus so I could connect with those kids. And just joyfully, like he was planning to do it, he says, no problem, I enjoyed spending time with you. And then he drove back home. But he didn't just do stuff like that every once in a while. That's just the way he lived. And that's what my mom lived. And some of you, that's true too. But aren't you tempted to be selfish and say, I'm going to keep this for me. I'm not going to give this one away. Ask yourself the question about the people that you want to build relationships with. What have you sacrificed for them lately? What have you done without so that you can build a relationship with them? Wouldn't it be neat, like you say, well, my house is a little shabby right now. My linoleum is a little yellow. My relationship with my wife is a little strained. We feel a little distance coming between us. What would happen if you gave up something for her? What would happen if you sacrificed something for her? What if you gave up something for him? You don't want to kill him of a heart attack right away. You know, you want to go easy on this. Let's go to the third one. So, so, so just think about this. We, we love beyond reasonable limits. Now, this is interesting because when I read this, I thought, wow, this is scary powerful. I will most gladly, therefore, rather spend... And what's the next phrase? Are you kidding me? And be spent? I can't ever read that without standing at the foot of the cross. Are you that way? What is that about? Whenever I think spend and be spent, I mean, I've spent, I've spent, but be spent? It's like that's to give everything? That's beyond reasonable limits. Like, are you kidding? What? Now, I don't mind a little investment as long as I keep a lot for myself, but be spent? This is a, 
this is a shocking thing for him to say and I see Jesus on the cross in it myself oh you know think about this this is um, beyond reasonable limits this has been helpful it's been, been a tough week as I thought about this and how far short I fall personally and that is that God Jesus God is love and his son our savior Jesus who died on the cross is who he is because he he was tortured to death for us beyond reasonable limits now think about this and your relationships just think about this think so you go home today and you and you you take a walk and you say to the Lord Lord God you help me and I will love I will love in a and I'll do it with very gladly and I'll do it with sacrifice and I'll do it beyond reasonable limits every once in a while I think am I going to be moving furniture all day here that is completely unreasonable I want to get myself in trouble which I am of course in you know can you imagine how much furniture I'm going to have to move now but um, <laughs> I, I sort of said this I want to be really careful here, but I said this around the table. The brothers meet to pray on Saturday morning here. Sweetest thing. Tears were shed for you yesterday morning, 7 to 8 o'clock. Well, the elders, they pray for you. They love you. Tears were shed yesterday morning for Bethel people that are going through hardship. And we were at the table once a morning, one, one Saturday, we had breakfast. And gentlemen, you're all welcome to join the elders on Saturday morning at 7 o'clock, if you're a real man, you'll get up early. Um, the first Saturday of the, uh, just kidding, first Saturday of the month, all the men are welcome to come and join us to have breakfast and pray. And that morning I kind of mentioned this, and as soon as I talked about like, but what if you tell your wife you're going to do something and then she keeps you busy all day long? And everybody laughed at the same time. And I'm like, oh, I'm not alone here. We all are a little afraid we're going to be pressed beyond reasonable limits. How many of you want me to move to the next point? Raise your hand. All the men. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Okay, and then I will love for the highest good of the other. I will most gladly spend and be spent. What for? For your souls. For your souls. For what is really good for you. For the part of you that, you know, the part of you that responds to God. This is a, love is not indulging people in things that wouldn't be good for them. Love is not sentiment. You know, you say to a person, well, you know, you've chosen to violate all of God's commandments, your lifestyle, your sexual orientation, all of them are not pleasing to God, but I love you, so you're okay. No, that's not love, right? Love is willing to shout when the bridge is out. Love does not just indulge in people's uh, sinfulness. That's not love. That's shallow, sentimental syrupy worthless substitute for biblical love but biblical love is like i will by god's grace and with himself do what's best for your soul and that's what paul is saying he doesn't indulge their silliness but he says for your soul i will i will gladly i will spend and be spent and notice this last one uh, as a commitment to to love and trust god to help you now, this is, what, this is kind of what you're saying. I've written it like this to help you. Track with me on this. 
and then you, imagine that this is an appeal to your will right now. A little bit later, I'm going to help you, but it's an appeal to your will, okay? I'm a, you, I would, as a pastor, what I'm imagining here is that you will go home and go, okay, this is right. I'm a Christian. This is what, and I will, by the grace of God, I will love with joyful willingness, and I will love with selfless sacrifice. Get a picture of a person in your mind, your child, your brother, your wife, your, your husband, your neighbor, the person in your mind. I will love this person with a, with a renewed joy. If you want to, just like, I will love my wife with a renewed joyfulness, with a spring in my step. I will love her with a selfless sacrifice. I will give up things for her. I will love her beyond reasonable limits. I will love for the highest good for her or for him and then I will trust God with all the questions that come up in my soul over that because they will if you're normal you're sitting there going this just does not sound like much fun right are you kidding mm. so do you have questions that pop into your mind I, I, I do when, when I think I think about this I think but the, the three questions let's, let's, let me answer these three questions before we go home today they're going to naturally occur you know, here, here they are. How can I love? Back up one line, take that away. Take that away. How can I love when I don't have loving feelings? You ever have like, but I don't feel loving. Do you ever have this problem? You don't want to vote. I mean, everybody's had this experience. Like, here's what we kind of do. We, we have, because of our movies and because of our media, because of our romantic ideas about, um, in, you know, in our culture about love, we tend to think of love as primarily a feeling. We're like, well, I don't feel loving today, so I'm just not going to do this. Now, when I was a student at Moody Bible Institute, a, a young pastor came. Uh, it was a teacher, spoke in chapel one day. I have the notes on this. He, he preached a message on what is love. And all of us were super interested in this because we were thinking especially about romantic love at the time. And I'll never forget one of the things he said just shocked me, but it's, he says, when you look at the Bible, love is not basically a feeling. Love is basically a commitment. Now that kind of takes away your romantic notions, and as romantic as I am, I hate doing that. But when you really think about the love that really drives the things that make things go, it's not basically, I feel this way. It's I have chosen to do this thing. William James, a psychiatrist, and he, he had an idea that feelings follow actions. In other words, the idea is that if you act, <clears throat> excuse me, if you act in a certain way, feelings will often come, and he just did this, this is just common grace, this is a, not a believing man, but he just studied human behavior, and he noticed how often if you decide you're going to be crabby, you're going to feel crabby. If you decide you're going to be loving, after a while you're going to feel loving. This is what Jesus said. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. If we say, I'm going to love you when I feel like it, then you're probably a lot of times not going to do what you should do. Jesus didn't feel like going to the cross. He didn't. He prayed to be delivered in his humanist from that. God sent an angel. He did it because he committed to doing that. The greatest act of love that fuels all the love in the world by one who didn't feel loving. It didn't feel like loving, right? Didn't feel like doing that. And, and so what do you do when you don't feel like it? You obey and you trust God 
that the feelings that need to come will often come where your treasure is there will your heart be also when you when you invest in somebody enough what you usually find happens is that feelings do come when they when they ought to and they're wonderful when they do let's look at the second question uh, what if i love like this and the person that i'm loving doesn't love me back like i long to be loved what if i let's say with my wife you know you say i'm gonna go home and love my wife but i and maybe this will work maybe maybe this is a way to get what i want from her you see the trap there the girls are sharp on this too i you know the ones in my life they're really sharp about this they kind of notice that people notice this right people know if they're being loved or if they're being used or if they're being manipulated right if but so if you if you love it's like the spill that happens when your wife isn't home do you clean this up and not tell her about it <laughs> uh, well yeah i'm like you would not believe the spill i cleaned up while you were gone you feel free to give me a you know pat on the back or yeah, hey, look at what I did. You know, you, you kind of want, you know, when, when we say, uh, uh, when we say, what if I love and I'm not loved back? And it kind of opens up our, it opens us up to the possibility that our motives are impure. God's love, is this, this is not what he calls us to do, get people to love us. Here, here, listen. As a, as a dad, it isn't my job to get my kids to love me. It's my job to show them the love of God. As a husband, it's not my job to get my wife to love me like I want to be loved, tempting as it is. It's to lay down my life in love for her. The way I think about it is, if I go first, she walks by my casket, and she says, that guy spent his life trying to make me happy. And, you know, God forbid, if she goes first, I'd, I walk by and I say, I kept my promise to you. I try to make you happy. I try to love you. Not, I got you to love me, but I loved you. There's something beautiful about that. Why don't you go home and renew that? And the people in my life, I'm going to love them. God helping me not to get them to love me back just because it's right. It's powerful. I'm telling you, that'll set you free. Don't look for love. Look for people who need to be loved. Show them the love of God like he showed you the love of God. It'll change your life. So this is a powerful, very, very powerful thing. A very, very helpful thing. I got a set of books in the mail t today, my own books. A guy mailed me three of my own books. That was kind of cool. I'm like, oh. And here are my three books, and he mailed them to me. And he sent me an email, and he said, there's a girl in our church who is a sacrificial girl, and she helps her brother who's troubled. And she went up to college, and she ran out of money. And I watched her mother, my wife watched this girl, and we decided to pay her school bill. And we want her to read your book. She heard you speak at chapel, and she liked your talk. And so as a birthday present, we'd like you to sign your books and send them to her. What a beautiful gesture of love. Can you imagine that girl having that person see her character and pay for her school bill? Like, where were these guys when I was in school, you know? <laughs> Can you use a little help like that? There's amazing joy, though. This guy's name's Brad. And I think about the stuff he has. He's got a yellow Jeep. He's got a farm. He's got some cool stuff. He's got guns. He's a gun guy. He's gun, gun, guns everywhere. You wouldn't want to accidentally break into this guy's house. 
it would be a bad mistake. Mr. Gunn, I imagine he spent a lot of money on that stuff. And then I wonder about when he and his wife paid that girl's school bill and he didn't get anything from it at all. If that wasn't maybe the most satisfying investment he ever made, I wonder. <laughs> I made a little investment one day. Can I tell you about it? I'm, I'm at the store and I'm leaving as Myers. This is a couple years ago and I'm leaving Myers and I, and I glance over and there's this guy and he's, his head is down in the trash can, like ups, almost upside down. And I realize, oh, he's gathering, he's got an old ratty bike and he's gathering cans which was kind of funny because at the time I had my red Jeep and the back of it was absolutely full of cans because I'm lazy and I don't take them to the store and I can't get Lois to do it. So I'm, I got the, can, the back of my Jeep is absolutely full of cans. And so I look at this guy and I think, I bet I got $25, $30 worth of cans in the back of my Jeep. I look at him and I think, oh, this will be fun. I go, hey, hey. He goes, I go, what you doing? He goes, I'm looking for cans. I go, I got a few. You want, you want mine? He goes, oh, you, you don't mind? I go, no, follow, follow me. Get a cart. And I go, get two carts. And the guy kind of looks at me funny, and, and I get a cart, and he gets two carts, and drag them out to my car, and we open up, and he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. He's like, whoa. The whole back of the, of the, the whole Jeep is full of cans, bags of cans. Our whole garage is full of cans. He takes the cans, and he puts them in his um, carts, and he's just like, a, you know, kid at Christmas. Like, oh, these are all for me? Oh, thank you so much. And I'm standing there watching him go, thinking, I couldn't have bought anything with that $25 that made me feel the joy of giving that guy my cans. And now I've told you, so I just lost my reward in heaven. But you see what I'm saying? No, it's like sometimes the most selfish thing you can do is be selfless. That's the key right there. That's the secret. That's the Christian secret. This is a kind of a Christian selfishness. If you, Jesus said it himself. If you want to be happy, then lay down your life. Give up your life. All across America this weekend, kids graduating, dads and moms, a lot of times not really properly thanked for all the soccer lessons and braces and tuition and all of that, are watching those kids, you know, go across the platform and their hearts are pounding with pride. They're probably not going to be properly thanked for that, but they know that they gave their kid, you know, a leg up on the world that they could go to the next level, and they're, and they're, and they're happier than the graduates tonight. Right, isn't that right? When you go to Cedar Point, I've been to Cedar Point, you go to Cedar Point to have fun. That's the idea, right? Let's pay a lot of money. Let's pay hundreds of dollars to go and stand in line to have a few seconds of fun and then throw up our funnel cake and go to the next line. You know that? Like, what a great time. You ever try to have fun at Cedar Point? I've done that myself. And it's like, man, this is a really frustrating way to try to have fun. Coke is four or five dollars a piece. You're like, we're all going to share this today. Me first, you know. Like, wow. But one time, do you remember this, Lois? We went to Cedar Point and it was one of the happiest days of my life. I'll never forget it. We didn't ride any big rides or throw up any funnel cake. The kids were little. They were all little. And we went to that part of the park where all the little kids' rides were. And as fast as we could, we just took little kids under the arms and we put them on little rides and they went around, and they laughed, and they waved, and as soon as that was over, we'd take them to the next ride, and they would go around, and they would laugh, and they would wave, and then maybe a little cotton candy, and then another ride, and another, and then finally night fell on the park, and we're on the back side of the park, and we said, we think we have time to ride that cable car across the park. We have just enough time before they close the park. I'll never forget that night, getting the family in those little cable cars, 
all those little kids, and riding that cable car across the park at the dusk. And then we went to the, went to the car, and then they all mercifully fell asleep. And Lois was sitting over next to me, and we drove home, and I thought to myself, I've never had more fun at Cedar Point in my life than what just happened, and I didn't ride a single ride myself. Love is a powerful thing. Love is a beautiful thing. And this question, what if I don't get love back? It's like God says you just love and you don't worry about getting love back. Third question, and that is this one. What if I'm just not good at it? Like this is Ken right here. This is Ken, the guy that drives the truck over and he's crabby about it and he gets no credit and nobody wants to be with him. How, how many days are we that guy, right? You, you just aren't really that loving. You just, you're just not that selfless. You're just not that sacrificial. What if you aren't really good at loving? Is there anybody here that thinks they're as good at loving as they ought to be? Let me just tell you a wonderful secret. You aren't that good at loving, but there is one who was. His name is Jesus, and he fulfilled God's law every single letter of it with love and he's promised to share his love continually with us who humble ourselves and believe in Jesus and be filled with the Holy Spirit what is it to be what is it to walk in the Spirit it's to continually or habitually yield to the impulses of the Holy Spirit in the power of the Holy Spirit which leads to what the fruit of the Spirit which is you want to love? What do you do? Here's what you need. You need a demo day. That's what you need. On the show, they have demo day. It's when they go in and they just wreck the house. They tear out all the old stuff. And maybe some of us need demo day. We should go back and go, man, I'm just a selfish dude. I want my wife to take care of me. I want my kids to adore me. I want, I want to be the center of the universe. You know, I want everything to go good for me. God, that's a, that's a sure way to be unhappy. So, God, I'm just going to demo day this whole thing, and I'm going to admit that I need your help. And then God will say, my love never ends. Could we with ink the ocean fill? Right? Remember that one? How does that go? Could we with ink uh, the ocean fill? And, and were the skies of parchment made, were every stalk on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. What's the, what is the hymn writer saying? God's love has no limit. So when you fail to love, Jesus did love, he, he does love, he will love you, and he will continually pour his love through you if you believe in him and if you trust him and if you're walking in the Spirit is continually yielding to the impulses of the Spirit to love in the power of the Holy Spirit, which yields the fruit of the Holy Spirit, which is love. This is the secret. How can I love? By, by walking in the Spirit. Uh, Teddy Roosevelt was quite a character, wasn't he? I heard somebody say this. I think it was Nancy Ortberg. I heard her say this on a recording yesterday. She said, when Teddy Roosevelt saw the Grand Canyon, he wrote, I was gobsmacked by it. He like made up a word. I was gobsmacked by it. There was a man 
who wanted his little eight-year-old boy to experience the beauty of the Grand Canyon. And here's, he did it in a creative way. He said, hey, we're going to go, we're going to go on a trip. And so now it's like, you ever been there? It's like through the desert, through the desert, through the desert, through the desert, through the desert. And then he says to his eight-year-old son, he goes, hey, buddy, do you trust me? And he goes, yeah. He goes, okay, I'm going to put a blindfold on you right now. And you just leave it there until I tell you. And they put a blindfold on his boy when he got to the Grand Canyon. And he opened the door and he took his hand. He says, you hold on to my hand, don't let go. He goes, don't take the blindfold off until I tell you. And he walked over to the lip of the Grand Canyon. He goes, all right, take the blindfold off. His little eight-year-old boy took his blindfold off and he was just speechless. He stood there on the lip of the Grand Canyon and speechless. And then finally when he spoke, he said over and over again, I had no idea. I had no idea. I had no idea. You know what? God has built into the world in our inability to love the way our hearts want to love so that we would tap into God's great love, Christ's great love, and there's no limit to his love that he'll pour through us if we continually will yield to him. Will you do that? Wouldn't it be something if you did in your marriage, in your parenting, one of the persons that irritate you? If you'd say, God, I will, we in this house, we will love and we'll do it gladly, and we'll do it sacrificially, and we'll do it with all of our hearts, and we'll do it in a way that, that we'll do it because you've empowered us to do it. I'd like to ask you to stand, and we're going to pray. And um, if you're here, and you uh, need somebody to give you counsel about how to know the Lord, how to walk with the Lord, many of us would be eager to do that. We're going to have people that come to the front here during this last song. These people are here to pray uh, for you, with you, about whatever's on your heart. Maybe a heartache of some kind or a need or there's somebody you want to pray for. Maybe you need personal counsel or you'd like to be referred to a counselor or to a helper. Then uh, while we sing those